Luke 21. If you're a guest today, you get the financial update and the end of the world. So we'll see if you, uh, we'll see if you ever come back. So um, Tuesday, last week of Jesus' life, he's in the temple. He's teaching to large crowds. Last couple of weeks, we've looked at these interactions between Jesus and the religious leaders. They're trying to knock him down. Uh, he's demonstrated that he's the one who actually has legitimate authority to interpret uh, the Bible and to interpret what God is doing to lead the people. And this we're going to look at today is his final public sermon. This is his last message, and it's what he chooses to talk about is the destruction of the temple, the fall of Jerusalem. That's one thing in the end of the world. Very confusing met passage because he's talking about two different things, and he's talking about two different time periods. They're connected, but they're not the same. And so it can be hard to kind of unravel what is he talking about. Uh, for the first audience, everything he's talking about is future. For us, one thing is past and one thing is future. Jerusalem fell in 70 A.D. For the first audience who's hearing it in 30 A.D., that's still 40 years out. For us, it's 2,000 years ago. The end of the world is sometime in the undetermined future for the first audience and for us. And so, again, all of this stuff can get kind of murky and can get kind of muddy. This same sermon appears in Matthew and it appears in Mark. They emphasize different things. And so I'm going to try to pull in Matthew and Mark just to help paint a clearer picture of what's going on. Because this can create a lot of confusion and even some anxiety for people as they think about the future. So we're going to start uh, chapter 21, verse 5. Some of his disciples were remarking about how the temple was adorned with beautiful stones and with gifts dedicated to God. But Jesus said, as for what you see here, the time will come when not one stone will be left on another. Every one of them will be thrown down. It will be the sign that they're about to take place. So they're in the temple, and the temple's not yet finished. It's got 30 more years before this temple is going to be built. It's this massive building. Uh, Josephus, who's a Jewish historian, he exaggerates a little bit. But he says, you can't even look at the temple when the sun is shining on it. It'll blind you. It's so white, and there's so much gold. It's this magnificent, massive building. And if you're a Jew, it's not just a building. It's a place where you meet God. Heaven and earth meet in that building. That's where God makes himself known. And Jesus gives this very provocative statement. It's all coming down. And again, if you're a Jew and you hear that, it's not just a beautiful building is being torn down or even a religious building, a special building is being torn down or even a holy building. It's, this is the place where God meets us. If, that, if that's torn down, if that's gone, what does that say about our nation? means God's walked away from us on some level. We see that in the past. It happened in 586 B.C. You can go back and read the Old Testament where God, the Babylonians, sieged Jerusalem. They overrun Jerusalem and they destroy the temple, the lowest point in Jewish history. Seventy years they live in exile. It takes them a long time to recover from that. And Jesus is saying it's going to happen again. And the disciples are going, what, what, when? How, how do we know? It's a huge deal. When's that going to happen and how are we going to know? What are the signs that would let us know that that's going to happen? And so Jesus gives them a list of signs. These are all general, not specific. These are all general. We'll get to some specific ones in a minute. Jesus replied, watch out that you're not deceived. For many will come in my name claiming I am he and the time is near. Don't follow them. When you hear of wars and uprisings, don't be frightened. These things must happen first, but the end will not, will not come right away. That's a big idea. The end will not come right away. Then he said, nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes, famines, and pestilences in various places, and fearful events and great signs from heaven. 
But before all this, they will seize you and persecute you. They will hand you over to synagogues and put you in prison. And you will be brought before kings and governors and all on account of my name. And, and so you will bear testimony to me. But make up your mind not to worry beforehand how you will defend yourself. For I will give you words and wisdom that none of your adversaries will be able to resist or contradict. You will be betrayed by parents, brothers and sisters, relatives and friends, and they will put some of you to death. Everyone will hate you because of me, but not a hair of your head will perish. Stand firm then, and you will win life. So I'm going to, Matthew and Mark also include this section in their sermon. They call them birth pains. So that's what we're going to refer to these things to, birth pains. That's a Jewish metaphor for an, an indeterminate period of time of distress and discomfort leading up to the end with a capital E. And so what Jesus is giving here, he's saying these are birth pains. And just like a, a woman would go through birth pains, they're uncomfortable, they can be painful, but they're not the baby. They tell you the baby is coming, but they are not the baby. And they can last for a long period of time. Some women have contractions weeks before their actual due date. And so all of these things are signs, and I divide them in two categories, kind of arbitrarily, signs in the earth and signs in the church. Signs in the earth, he says, there's going to be people who pretend to be me, who say, I'm the way, who say, God has sent me, and I'm going to show you the way to connect with him. There's going to be wars, there's going to be famines, there's going to be earthquakes. And within the church, it's going to be difficult, persecutions, imprisonments. Mark talks about flogging. Matthew and Luke talk about martyrdom. You're going to be betrayed. Matthew talks about the love of many growing cold. So there's going to be some spiritual atrophy in the church and apostasy, people turning away from Jesus. And he also says, Matthew and Mark, both saying the gospel is going to be preached to the whole world. So it's not just that things are getting worse and worse and worse. The gospel is going out into all the nations. And all of those things are birth pains. They're not the end. It's that Jesus says the end is yet to come. Just like birth pains are not the baby, so these signs, these general conditions, are not the end. They just indicate that the end. You can go and you can read Acts. You can read the rest of the New Testament. You can find some first century history. And most of these things, I would say all of those things, happened in the first century before Jerusalem fell in 70 AD. We're not going to go through all of that stuff because this isn't history class, but you can grab onto that and go look. All of these things already happened. So what Jesus is saying, again, he's speaking on two levels. And so he's telling this audience, the temple is going to be destroyed. Jerusalem is going to fall. And all of these things, these birth pains, indicate that the time is getting near. And as you read Acts, you'll see, hey, a lot of that stuff happened. James got his head cut off, martyrdom. Paul and Silas were thrown in prison. There were disciples who were beaten. We see that. So we see false Christ, that guy Thudius. He was a false Messiah, someone who said, hey, I'm, and I'm, I'm, I'm the way. You can follow me. There were earthquakes. There were famines. We see all of those things happening. Even this idea of the gospel going to all the nations. Paul says they all know in Romans 10, 18. He's only talking about the world that he knew. We know there was a world beyond what Paul knew. But what he knew, yeah, the gospel was, it, it made it all the way around before Jerusalem fell in 70 AD. If you look, every generation can say, yeah, that's, that's life. Pick up a newspaper. That stuff has been happening. That stuff is happening. That stuff will continue to happen. It's not the end. It just means they're birth pains. Revelation, we'll just dip our toe in this. Revelation 6, there's a scroll and there are all these seals. 
Who's worthy? Jesus alone is worthy to open the seals. The first five seals, I think, correspond to all of those birth pains. You can see it right there. The first seal, there's a rider on a white horse, and he's wearing a crown. So that makes me think he's a good guy, because in the Bible, when someone's wearing white and they have a crown, they're usually a good guy. And there's conquest. To me, that's the gospel going to all the nations. That is happening now. We're way behind. There's two billion people who've never heard the good news. But people are actively making strides to make sure that everybody gets the gospel in a language that they can understand. The second seal, that second horseman, is war. He's been around for a long time and continues to be around. The third one is death. Or excuse me, is famine. We see that. That's happening. We see famine in Africa even now. But again, throughout history, there have been times where there has been famine in localized areas. The last, the pale horse, is death. And you see all the things that death brings with him. All of those things have been happening. The fifth seal, there's this weird kind of picture. There are these souls under the altar, and they're crying out to God, when are you going to vindicate us? It's, it's, it's the souls of people who've been persecuted and killed for their faith. Those are things that have been going on since the time of Jesus. They're going on now, and they will continue to go on. All of those seals are already open, in my opinion. That's the way God and the devil work in history. It's the stuff of life. And so you're currently living, you are currently living in this time of birth pains. When the first five seals from Revelation 6, if Revelation scares you, I would say you're over halfway there. Five of them have already been broken. And you're doing it. And you're fine. These birth pains that we're experiencing and we will continue to experience. Now Jesus gives a very specific sign and says, here's how you're going to know Jerusalem is about to fall. When you see Jerusalem being surrounded by armies, you will know that its desolation is near. He can't be any clearer. Here's how you're going to know. When Jerusalem is surrounded by armies, you'll know that its desolation is near. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let those in the city get out. Let those in the country not enter the city. For this is a time of punishment and fulfillment of all that's been written. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers... There will be great distress in the land and wrath against this people. They will fall by the sword and will be taken as prisoners to all the nations. Jerusalem will be trampled on by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. So now Jesus says, here's the sign. Here's how you're going to know that, that this, this temple is going to be destroyed, that this city is going to be taken. When you see the army surrounding it, it happened in 68 and 69 and 70 A.D., the Roman army surrounded Jerusalem and laid a siege. The Roman army walked slow. And so Jesus says, when you see them coming, get out of town. The worst place you can be during a siege is in the city. You're going to die there. So get to the mountains. It's safer. Pregnant women run slow. Sorry for you. Women with little babies, those small legs don't move very fast. Sorry for you. It's going to be hard for you, pregnant women. And moms of babies. But y'all need to get out. Josephus, again, this historian, he exaggerates. He says 1.1 million Jews were killed during the siege of Jerusalem. 97,000 were taken captive, even taken into account exaggeration. It was a devastating time for the Jewish people. And Jesus says the reason it happened, it's God's judgment upon you. Remember just two days ago, on Palm Sunday, he comes riding into Jerusalem on this donkey. And everybody's saying, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And they're laying coats down in front of him. And this is what he says in chapter 19. The days will come upon you 
when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. That sounds a lot like a siege. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another. Why? Because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. This is time of punishment and fulfillment of all that's been written. Jesus wants them to know, like, when you see this army coming, you're going to lose that fight. You need to get out of town. This is God's judgment on the religious leadership of Jerusalem, of Israel, because they rejected God's coming to them in Jesus. And Jesus is saying, you're not going to win that battle. Leave. It's going to be terrible for you. And now he fast forwards without telling us thousands and thousands of years. There will be signs in the sun, moon, and stars. On the earth, nations will be in anguish and perplexity at the roaring and tossing of the sea. People will faint from terror, apprehensive of what is coming on the world, for the heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time, they will see the Son of Man, that's Jesus, coming in a cloud with power and great glory. When these things begin to take place, stand up and lift up your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. Specific sign. Audience, listen to me. When you see the army coming, Jerusalem is about to fall. Get out of town. Now he's fast forward and said, here's a specific sign for the end of the world. You're going to see all this stuff in the sky. We don't know what it is, to be honest with you. Matthew and Mark quote, I think it's from Joel. The sun's going to turn black and the moon's not going to give light and the stars are going to fall from the sky. If you flip back to Revelation 6, the sixth seal is this. This is the sixth seal. It's these cosmic signs in the sky. That it's the same thing. The stars are only falling out of the sky once. Whatever that means, it's not happening again. So that seal has not yet been opened. This has not yet happened. There's going to be signs in the sky that are going to indicate that Jesus is returning. And when he returns, in Revelation, we see very clearly that's it. That's the end. He judges the wicked and he vindicates the righteous. That's what he says to his disciples. You know your redemption is coming near when you see the Son of Man, when you see Jesus returning. He told them this parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. When they sprout leaves, you can see for yourself and know the summer is near. Even so, when you see these things happening, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Truly, I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. So he's giving them assurance. He's saying to them, I'm telling you in advance, all of this stuff is going to happen. And when you begin to see it, Realize the end is coming. He's saying to those guys who are going to be persecuted and imprisoned and beaten and betrayed, don't think you picked the wrong team. I'm telling you in advance, if that's how it's going to go for you. We're going to win in the end. When you see me, that means your redemption is coming. But don't think just because things get difficult that God has abandoned you, that God has forgotten about you, that you somehow made a mistake in putting, casting your lot with me. I'm telling you in advance, it's got to happen. This whole idea of this generation will not pass away. You can say, well, they're all dead. They've been dead for 2,000 years. Was he wrong? No. What he's saying is, I think what he's saying is, the generation who sees these signs in the heavens, who sees whatever it means for a sun to turn dark, for a moon to not give light, and for stars to fall out of sky, when you see that, that generation, you're not, you're, you're not going to die before Jesus comes back. That, that's when your water broke. It's that close at that point. If you're alive and you see those things, that generation, he's coming back soon. We're in birth pains, this indeterminate 
time leading up to the end. When we see those signs in the heavens, that generation, you're not going to die before he comes back and the end is upon us. I'm going to pause here before I look at the very last. Let me give you a little sequence. This is my opinion, which is most likely correct, on the sequence of end time events. So some of you get into this stuff. Some of you, it makes you really nervous. I'm going to tell you, you start in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. You read Jesus' sermons, Matthew 24, Mark 13, Luke 21. Start there. Once you get that, then you can read Revelation, then you can read Daniel, then you can read Ezekiel. Those things are difficult to understand. Very uh, figurative language, a lot of apocalyptic imagery. Don't start there or you will, get, you will drown very quickly. Jesus, I think, lays out very clearly. Here's, here's the deal. Here's the sequence of events. There's birth pains. We just talked about that. Signs in the earth and signs in the church. That's where we're living. We're in period one. And that's it. Then there's going to be this abomination that causes desolation. Matthew and Mark talk about that. Luke skips it. So that's the, the Antichrist, the man of lawlessness, the beast that comes out of the sea. Originally... When Jesus first said this, the abomination that causes desolation is the Roman flag. When they come marching in, when you see these armies circling around, you see the eagle on that flag. That's idolatrous to the Jews. When you see that, you know your end is near because you're going to lose that fight. In the future, it's going to be some person, it appears, some, some, I don't know who, some person who is going to personify those things that we see in 2 Thessalonians 2 and Revelation 13 about the Antichrist. The great tribulation, Matthew and Mark use that word, great distress. And that word distress in Matthew and Mark is the same word that's used in Revelation 7.14 that says great tribulation. That's the only time you're going to see that phrase in the Bible, Revelation 7.14, great tribulation. That's the word that Jesus uses in Matthew and in Mark. And he says that time's coming where there's more, more squeezing than there will be. That's what tribulation means. There's more squeezing than any other time in history. My opinion You're going to have to live through it if you're alive. You are not going to get beamed up before the great tribulation. It's not going to happen, I don't think. You can believe that. If you believe that and you're wrong, are you going to be ready? If I'm wrong, then I just got moved up to the front of the line to ride the screen machine. It's it's fine. It's not a big deal. If you're wrong, are you going to be ready? Cosmic signs, sun, moon, stars, all of that stuff. That's the sixth seal then the return of Jesus, and then the gathering of the church. You can see that again in Matthew and Mark. Jesus returns, and then he gathers his elect. He doesn't gather them before the great tribulation. He gathers them when he returns, and when does he return? After all of those things. You don't have to believe this, but this is my opinion. So we're living in stage one. I have no idea when the rest of it starts. Next week or next century, I don't know. We don't have any control over any of this stuff. It's all going to happen. If you notice, we just read, there's one command. Don't worry about what you're going to say. I'll give you words. You don't need to worry about that. The rest of it is just describing the future. And we're, we seem to be observers of that, participants in that it will affect us. But we don't seem to have influence on those events. Those things are going to happen. Jesus closes with what we do in light of that. And this is what we're going to close with. Be careful. Be on your guard. Watch out. Why? Or your hearts will be weighed down with carousing. The old school word for that is dissipation. 
it refers to being hungover, um, weighed down with carousing, drunkenness, and the anxieties of life. And that day, when Jesus returns, will close on you suddenly like a trap, because it will come on all those who live on the face of the whole earth. Be always on the watch and pray that you may be able to escape all that is about to happen, and that you may be able to stand before the Son of Man. Each day Jesus was teaching at the temple, and each evening he went out to spend the night on the hill called the Mount of Olives. And all the people came early in the morning to hear him at the temple. So all that stuff is going to happen. If, you, if you're in with my sequence of our events or you've got a different one, it doesn't matter. You've got no, we don't influence those things in a lot of ways. Those things are set by God. He is the Lord of history. Jesus is the one worthy to open the seals, not us. And so in a sense, we're, we're again, we're almost passive. I hate to use that word. But those things are going to happen. And Jesus says, so those things are going to happen, and here's what I want from you. And he gives just a couple of commands, and he gives them to two different groups of people. He says, be careful. Watch out that you don't get weighed down. And then he talks about people who drink too much. And he talks about people who worry too much. Out of everything to be on the lookout for, it's those two. Too much drinking and too much worrying. I think there's, there's maybe something underneath that. I think those are shorthand. Those are pictures for what he's talking about. The people who drink too much, what he's saying is they don't take life seriously. Eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow you die. They don't recognize that there's another life after this life, there's not a recognition that what they do now matters. Everything's, maybe everything's just a party to them. Or everything is meaningless to them. It ultimately winds up being the same thing. They don't recognize that during this time that we have, we're, we're stewards. That's Luke 12. Jesus talks about being a faithful and wise manager. And he actually talks about, the, in the picture he says, we don't want to be like a manager who gets drunk. And beats the, our servants. We won't know when the master is going to come back. And if, we, if he comes back and we're not doing what he's asked us to do, he's going to cast us out. Some of you may fall in that category. Life is meaningless to you. Or this life is all there is to you. There's not a recognition that there's something beyond this life and that this life is preparing you for that one. And that the choices and decisions you make now will affect you for eternity. You may not live in light of that. And so what Jesus says to you is you need to watch. Get your head up. Recognize I'm coming back. We said earlier his, his return will be unmistakable. Everybody's going to see it. It also will be sudden. We're not going to know when. Well, what about all these signs in the heavens? Somehow there's going to be these signs in the heavens and people will still be able to ignore them, which is how Jesus works now. He shows just enough of himself that if you're interested, you can grab on and see. And if you want to resist, then you can ignore. That's how he works. And that appears to be how he's going to work until he returns and everybody is going to acknowledge him. But that's not until he comes back on a white horse. Up until that time, there's still that faith element that's necessary. And so what Jesus says, if you tend to be someone who you don't recognize that you're a steward... You don't recognize that God has given you money, and he's given you time, and he's given you strengths and talents, and he's given you relationships, and he's given you opportunities, and he's given you a brain. And if you don't recognize that and say, God, what do you want me to do with these things? You need to get your head up and realize he's coming back. And when he comes back, he's going to say, he's talking to his disciples here, what have you done with what I gave you while I was gone? 
He's looking for faithfulness and fruitfulness from us. If that's you this morning, hear that word. Watch. Get your head up. Some of us, most of us, if we're going to fall in a ditch, we're going to fall in this other one. It's not that we maybe take life not seriously enough. It's that we take it a bit too seriously. We're stressed. We're anxious. He says we're worried about the the worries of this life. When he uses that phrase in the parable of the soils, it's weeds that choke out everything that God is trying to do in us. Maybe that phrase, that picture resonates with you more than being weighed down. It's good things, not sinful things. It's good things, but they're things that cause you. They, They take your time and your attention and your energy and your focus, and you don't have anything left for the Lord. And what he says to you, if that's you, overstressed, overburdened, overanxious, maybe even over-responsible. He says, you need to pray. You need to ask me to get involved. You need to recognize, yes, this life is important. Be back into your present. Get me involved in what's going on in these things. Ask me to be a part of this. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. If that's not your experience, you may be missing something right now. If you would say, I'm not, no, nothing's easy and nothing's light, then maybe you're wearing the wrong yoke. So let's ask him, show me, what's life look like for me? We're stressed out and maxed out and burned out. What do you want us to do? What gets cut? What gets added? What gets changed? You've got to speak to me about that. I'm working too much. You've got to help me with that. We're, we don't have enough money. You've got to help me with that. Whatever it is, he's saying those worries of life, those th- good things, but that can tend to dominate our thoughts. And dominate our resources. He's saying, invite me in. This isn't all there is. I want you using this in light, just like he says to the party guy. Live your life in light of eternity. I'm coming back and I'm going to ask you what you've done. He says to those of us who tend to be over-anxious and over-stressed, live this life in light of eternity. This stuff's all temporary. It's all temporary. Why are you working so hard? It all burns. Except what doesn't burn. Are you investing in those things as well. Let's pray. So interesting phrase in that. I skipped it over. Skipped over it. Time of the Gentiles. That's where we're living. I know most of you and your Gentiles. We're living during this time where God has said, I'm working primarily among Gentiles. There'll be a time where whatever it looks like, There's restoration with Jewish people. But right now, it's not that God never works among Jews. Don't hear that at all. But Jesus says, this is the time of the Gentiles. Just like Jesus judged Jerusalem, he said, you missed God coming to you, Jerusalem. Israel, you missed God coming to you. We don't want to miss him coming to us. You don't want to miss it this morning. You don't. Don't hear that as pressure Hear that as an invitation. He's coming to you, life. So don't miss it this morning. Which of those two are you? If I made you pick. You too loose or you too tight? You worry too much or do you not care enough? Too much weight on every decision and every minute and every penny or never a thought 
about what God wants you to do with your decisions in your pennies, in your time? Which way do you tend to lean? Whichever way it is, I want to encourage you to ask the Lord. You got, there's, only, there's only one word for you either way. The word's either watch or the word is pray. Do you need a vision of eternity this morning? Do you need to see him coming back more clearly? Do you need to recognize the times that you're living in more explicitly? Just ask, God, give me eyes to see. Get my head up. I don't want to waste, God. I don't want to squander anything that you've given to me. You've given me more than I could have asked or imagined. You pray this in your heart. And I don't want to waste it. I don't want to waste my money. I don't want to waste my strengths and talents. I don't want to waste my personality and my intelligence. I don't want to waste my opportunities and my time. Give me an eternal perspective. What do you want me doing with what you've given me? That's not pressure to perform. It's an invitation to partner with him in what he's doing in the world. 2 Chronicles, his eyes roam to and fro, range to and fro throughout the earth, looking to strongly support those whose hearts are fully his. That's what he's looking for this morning. All you have to say is, I'm in. Everything you've given me, I'll give back to you. Everything that you've given me, I want to use to your glory and to bless others. Show me how. Give me perspective. Some of you are weighed down with the worries and the cares of life. You're stressed about your grades and whether or not you're going to start next week and who's got the best office and whether you're going to get a raise. And you're stressed about, and it's all good. You're stressed about carpools and budgets. It's fine. All those things are good and those things deserve your attention. None of those things deserve your ultimate allegiance. that's you this morning, if you find yourself weighed down by the cares of this world, or honestly you may say, I actually feel pretty good about it. Is it, are those cares choking out the work of God in your life? How much time and priority is given to the kingdom? You need to pray. I want to encourage you. That's the word for you this morning. Pray. Ask God to get involved. God, you got to help me. kids have to get where they go so you got to help me these bills have to be paid you've got to help me somebody's got to make dinner you've got to help me somebody's got to earn the money to make dinner you got to help me I'm inviting you in to the details of my life the places where I'm carrying a burden that I shouldn't I'm saying, okay, take it off. Give me one that's light and easy. Show me what needs to be added and what needs to be subtracted and what needs to be changed. I don't want the the things of life to choke out your work. Give me a vision for eternity. Give me perspective. Help me realize 
what matters and maybe what doesn't matter quite as much. God, my prayer for every man and woman in this room, our students on all the way up, that we would all be ready whenever you come back. Next week, next month, in a hundred years, if we're alive when you return, I pray you say, that's what I was looking for. You had your head up. So God, show each one of us what does that mean to live with our heads up, our eyes looking. In Jesus' name.